Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, the number one podcast about all things The Legend of Korra, Nickelodeon, Nick.com's former series. This week, we take time off the group vacation in the spirit wilds to talk to master audio vendors Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn. What's that spirit womp? How did Kuvira's theme come about? And how did they score Korasami? It's time to find out with Matt and Joanna. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Republic City Dispatch. Yes, The Legend of Korra is over, but you know what? We're not done talking about it <laughs> yet. That's just the way we are. Uh, who is we? I'm Matt Patches. I'm with Joanna Robinson today, and we're joined by two very special guests um, who've been on the show before, Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn. Jeremy is the composer for Legend of Korra, and he's, he's been composing music for this franchise since Avatar The Last Airbender, and he's been working with Benjamin Wynn, who is the sound designer of Legend of Korra, uh, and together they wrote music and uh, created sounds for the original series, but now they kind of do independent work um, and still collaborate, and it's it's you know a whirlwind experience for both of them, I think, and uh, we're happy to have them back on the show. If you haven't heard previous episodes, and uh, we talked to them about book two a while back, I would check that out. And uh, now we're going to talk to them about book four, maybe a little book three, because we didn't get a chance, because uh, it was it was it all happened so quickly. Uh, so we're here with Jeremy Zuckerman, composer, Ben Wynn, sound designer for uh, Legend of Korra. Guys, welcome back. Thank you for uh, talking to us today. Good to be back. Who's who? Remind people. Uh, if if you just say your name, and so people know who's who. Unfortunately, Ben and I sound sort of similar. <laughs> uh, this is Jeremy, and this is Ben. Thanks for having us, guys. No problem. Thank you for coming back. Um, it's over, guys. It's over. I can't <laughs> believe it. Jerry, you tweet a picture of you dumping your files or so, or moving your file off your. Uh... Yeah, I haven't quite dumped them yet, but it was just just removing them from the dock, the shortcut to the to the folder. So that really that pulled my heartstrings a little. <laughs> that says it all. It says yeah. it all. <laughs> when you when you're in post production of any job, moving folders. That's the yep. end. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite ready to like actually take it off the hard drive, but I have moved it, moved the shortcut. Oh, I'm getting teary. Um, well, I'm curious because so the last time we talked was la- last year um, around book two, uh, and everything kind of like escalated. Book three happened, and I don't know if we talked, but then book four kind of came about. It was it was a very quick turnaround, but it, it seemed like it maybe it was a quick turnaround for you guys too. Was this like? A crazy production schedule was was this a rush to the finish line because i think i saw people sharing pictures of you guys writing music and doing the sound design during the, sh- the run of the show oh. oh yeah yeah it was it was uh just basically it was uh we had something to do every two weeks without fail but there was a lot of overlap so ben and i were probably were, yeah we were probably working seven days a week pretty much since Whew. since we talked i think right ben I don't remember. (laughs) Ben blacked out about halfway through. Yeah. What what are we talking about? (laughs) Yeah, no. um, Yeah, I think we worked. I mean, we didn't take, uh, we didn't have any breaks. So, yeah, it was pretty much, uh, it was, it was go from, from the beginning, really. I don't think we took many breaks since, since we started working on the show. Well, we had oh. book two was weird. Remember, because book two had all those weird delays because of the um, animation studios. Oh right, oh, right. So yeah. We totally got we got some some episodes we would have like a month or. Right, know, there were a few in there. That's time. true. Um, but it, it was in book book three and book four where stuff got in a really good rhythm, but it was it was intense. It was a grind. 
like you know as tv can be sure do you go into something like book three or or even going into book four um i I always wonder if you if you feel like each season has to be different somehow or your approach you reapproach, or if you you've got it down to like you said a rhythm so maybe it's it comes naturally at that point you don't have to overthink it or is there a creative reapproach with each season because they're about something different um well Musically, the it just yeah, it just naturally happens because they're about something different, you know. And the tones, the tones seem different for each season, you know, and different settings and things. Um, so it it called for different musical ideas for sure. And I'm sure Ben could talk about the sound design ideas as well. Um, it might be a little more overt with the music, you know, because it like plays to the, the directness of the emotion. But um, there is definitely new ideas for each one. And I sort of consciously wanted that to happen too. Like I would kind of look for you know, something that interested me musically and then try to develop as much as possible throughout the season hmm. and then usually abandon it for the next season. <laughs> Although there, there are a few thing, ideas that, that remain throughout the whole series, a few cues and musical sort of theme, definitely some themes that, that stayed. How, the how, most, how yeah, would you compare I, three and four, book three and four musically then? Um, they are pretty different but, but because – Book three, you know, since it's centered around the the red, uh, you know, Lotus and Zahir, um, his musical motives were really present in almost nearly every episode, and he had a real sort of dr- sort of droning, you know, plotting kind of musical idea that was pretty new to the um, to the Avatar world. I think, you know, usually like the Avatar music is is a little bit more all over the place harmonically. And his stuff was more like a static sort of chord. And it would go on for minutes at a time. And I was always sort of worried about it getting boring. <laughs> but uh, it seemed to work, you know, it seemed to work in the context. And so then, of course, without Zahir, that idea, which was probably 70% of the music um, in book three, that was gone, you know, uh, for book four. So it was all pretty much new ideas for book four. And book four was a lot more sort of emotional and a lot more uh, introspective, having to do with, you know, chorus kind of search inner search um and there was you know so there was all that stuff that that sort of was developed and continued to the end really but um some stuff came back i, I don't know it's all a blur at this point <laughs> Ben, do you have a similar thinking when you go into a season? You kind of lucked out. There's a lot of metal in core. <laughs> so maybe yeah. maybe you could repurpose a lot of metal sounds. But I wonder if you have the same challenge when you go into something like book four coming off three. If there if there's – I mean you're creating so many sounds for this fantasy world. But I don't know if right. – uh, it's not the same approach, approach thematically perhaps. Yeah, I mean I think, I think like Jeremy was saying, it's a bit trickle down for sound as well in that um, – these things naturally change, but they change due to the writing and the characters and what the show is introducing. So I, I think, you know, the core, the core sounds for the bending um, stay pretty well intact, you know, for the whole show. But 
um, I would say the highlight sounds for each season, you know, tend to change, be it, you know, spirits or that huge spirit cannon or, um, or, or, you know, like the various things that sort of took front and center, uh, that were new for each season and sometimes each episode, uh, you know, would have new elements as well. But the core, the core is pretty developed or it was developed, you know, by, by now. But, um, but it was always a surprise in terms of adding new elements. Curious if, um, because you've been working on the show since Avatar, the last airbender, you bring up the bending sounds, maybe being a consistent, uh, Mm -hmm. soundscape, but I do wonder if they've evolved over time and especially when we've discovered kind of new powers you know you have lava bending or something is the origins do they go you know do they evolve from the rock sounds that you first produced or yeah totally um everything you know um i think every time that i you know would do a new scene that required any element be it fire bending you know for instance um i i would sort of tend to start with things that i'd done in the past but then try to expand it um, uh, to evolve it a little bit. Uh, so, you know, there's like a little bit of the old and a little bit of new in, in a lot of, a lot of the show. So I think if you went back and watched the first episode of Avatar, uh, versus where we ended up, things would sound very different, but it's sort of a slow evolution. Mm. That was just you like hitting two rocks together for Earth. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really is like, you know, if you go back, the things that we had at our disposal then were so minimal that we, you know, we really came up with creative solutions on, on a lot of those sounds. And some of those were really successful, and some of those were still in, you know, the, probably the last episode of Korra. Do you, can, um, does one come to mind? I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the early firebending uh, was our process voice. Um, so we would sort of do these gestures that mimicked the sound, uh, you know, like an explosion or, say, uh, uh, like a heat wave of fire coming <laughs> over your head, like rushing over your head. So you could kind of do that with your voice and then process it. And, and it actually, some of those turned out to be really successful that, um, I still used as a layer. I mean, a lot of the sound, actually probably almost all the sound is heavily layered. So there'll be, you know, one element maybe that was from way back, you know, during the avatar days and then a bunch of new ones, basically. Do you, can you do your fire impression? Do you have, your- it would be like, <laughs> Beautiful. That like is that. that's art, man. I don't know what that sounded like over the microphone, but oh, beautiful. a fire. So <laughs> whoa, whoa, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, we do the same thing for for wind. Um, water sounds. I think I don't think we used uh, voice too much. I think that was pretty. <laughs> but we did, you know, record splashes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, when we first started Avatar, I, I don't. I don't think we had any library of sounds. We we would we would sort of like maybe had one folder of various sounds, but we didn't have much. And, you know, and now I have dry, you know, terabyte drives full of sound designs, full of sound effects. So, uh, you know, and some of those are great, and some of them are terrible. But you know, throughout throughout the years, I've sort of found ones that that really lend themselves well to being manipulated into the show. You mentioned the the spirit cannon, which is sort yeah. of a, a an inceptiony bwom sound. Right. And I was wondering what what went into making that sound, that particular one. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that sound because when 
I first made it, I had no idea how important it was going to become to Cora for the whole show, really, for the whole series, for this whole maybe second half of the series. Because um, when when we first built it, it or when I you know when I first made it, it was for uh, Rava, right? It was for Rava's cannon. Or, or like, I guess that's what you'd call it, a uh, light beam, I guess. Last. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then that ended up being developed into, you know, it, it, it was sort of like it had a huge um, part of even the last episode. Uh, but it was used in a different way, which is a bit tricky, because when I, when I developed it, it was uh, for sort of that purpose. But then it ended up getting put into... You know the the guns and the cannons that sort of had that like steady blast that didn't let up. I know what happens next. We gotta get out of here now, now. But anyway, to get back to your original question it was um it was a bunch of layers a lot of ship horns so you know like large uh yeah. large boats um their horns sort of uh pitched down and processed in very in various ways you know coupled with sort of an explosive onset uh and then sort of like some synthetic um laser beam kind of sounds our, our co-host Dave thought there might have been a trombone in there, but I think yeah. that was a, a wish that he had. <laughs> I know what he means, but no, I think it's a ship horn that's pitched down. That is awesome. And it does kind of sound like that. I, I don't want the fans to come after you, but I believe Unavatu made that. Sorry. Uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Stickler. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad that you corrected me because I'm always like the worst dude, when it comes to dude, that. that I, doesn't, he doesn't even like know the character's name. <laughs> I swear to God. Kira? Kira, is, is she in the scene? It's amazing. I'm like, in Korra, so when Aang, when he... Uh, what is it? I make the sounds. I make the sounds. Who's that um, girl? That's a Sami. That is wonderful. That's no, funny. Uh, Jeremy, I, I had a question for you. You know, I, I thought the, the music in... Um, uh, the the first three books have been very classical, and something kind of went off the rails in book four in, in an, an amazing way. And I... Actually, first I have to pull back because I never know how to talk about this. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of composed music of all kinds. And here in New York City, you know, we have this thriving community of composers and musicians. But you don't call it classical music, right? Do you call right. it chamber music? Do you call it new music? I don't know what right. people who compose yeah. music want their music to be called. Do you have an they opinion? They don't know either. I think for a while there was indie classical and then the people who were being called indie classical composers didn't like that and – I think no one knows what to it's call it. It's so confusing. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, the Kuvira theme, I don't know if I, you, you would call it a Kuvira theme, but this kind of recurring motif has these atonal erratic strings that keep occurring that I, I, I feel like I hear it a lot emerging from, you know, Brooklyn composers. It's a, it's a kind of That's like indie classical music scene uh, technique uh, that you hear a lot. And I'm curious about where you picked that up and the thinking about kind of being more experimental, perhaps, in book four. That's a really astute observation, because I have been listening to a lot of that stuff. Um, like those guys, you know, that whole scene with, like, um, oh, what's the record label? I can't think of it. Like, J Judd, you know. Oh, God. Green, what's his name? Ben, what's his name? Judd. Greenspan. You mean Erase Tapes? Is that not Greenspan. Uh, no. 
uh, whatever. Like that, that, there's this whole label that's putting out these like young composers, and they're doing cool music, that new music stuff. Um, Marcos Balter and yeah, um, you know, Sunlux. You know, Ryan did some stuff. Ryan Lott, Sunlux. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in New York, and uh, actually, I think Marcos is in Chicago, or maybe he just moved to New York. I don't know. Um, but there's some, yeah, there's some great young composers, and I I have been listening to a lot, and even just through this whole like um, Echo Society thing that um, Ben and I are part of, which is a collective of composers in LA, and we're we're writing our, just any music we feel like writing and putting on these concerts, like you know, a couple times a year. Um, that sort of opened some some things up in me um, to write a little differently. And sort of embracing this, this, I don't know, this sort of complex aesthetic. Um, and uh, so Kuvira's thing is must have come from that. I can't remember when I wrote it, but I'm pretty sure I was listening to some some of that stuff then. And I had already done at least one or two Echo Society pieces. I can't remember. But um, that definitely informed it, for sure. And uh, I guess that, yeah, that probably persisted. It's funny because you were saying it's different. I hadn't even really thought about it being different. Um, than the other seasons, but yeah, I guess it is because I, I feel like I've always tried to, you know, infuse some of this like new music, yeah, these new music ideas and all of the chorus stuff. But it sort of presented itself in different ways, like, like in episode, I mean, in um, book one, I used a lot of these like these sliding pitches that would sort of converge and and you know diverge and stuff, and um, but they were used in a way that was pretty. Um, I'm trying not to speak too technically, but they were kind of tonal, you know, they were like, they weren't um, what you're used to hearing where you hear these atonal sort of textures and they're, you know, they're very kind of new music sounding and um, very, they can be a bit academic or even they can sound kind of scary or strange. And I, I tried to use these, some of those techniques in a way that, that had a different emotional weight. Um, but um, I guess it didn't, you know, it wasn't as, maybe it wasn't as obvious as you know, the stuff in book four, which is the more complex textures and things. Um, but yeah, it definitely totally came from, I think it probably did come from, from some of that, you know, what's going on right now in classical music world with the young composers. How did you end up approaching Kuvira? I know in the past you've told us that you haven't written like character themes necessarily, right. but when someone with this much personality kind of injects herself into the show, how does that reshape what you're doing instrumentally and, and uh, just the, the melodies you're composing? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of not, not writing character themes kind of flew out the window um, somewhere, maybe book two, maybe even before that, and I started writing that way. It just It just happened, you know, and I didn't fight it. But with Kuvira, um, actually, Brian wanted something that was really percussive and kind of militaristic. And we talked about that kind of drum tattoo snare th stuff. But obviously, we didn't we didn't want to be that on the nose about it. Um, and so it's her, her theme actually started as a percussion theme. And over time, it needed more than percussion to sort of carry the, the weight, you know, the emotion of the scene or whatever. Um, and the strings kind of came out of this this sort of complex percussion rhythm. Um, and I guess, you know, I had just been thinking about these sort of, you know, this like this complex texture that's kind of dissonant and it, it you know, it's like several strings 
come together to make this singular texture. Um, so each part is kind of syncopated and strange, and they all formed her thing, her Kavira thing that keeps coming throughout the whole season. Um, and she, she actually had like sort of two themes though. Cause there was there was it's kind of multiple parts sides of her personality. You know, there was sort of the calm, the calm like you know just manipulative side of her, and then the sort of plotting evil. stuff like I had this something that, that actually came from the um, book three which was when they went and visited Sue in the metal you know the metal uh, kingdom um, and it, it was called Zalfu yeah Zalfu exactly there you <laughs> go thank you someone's watching oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> are you guys disappointed no right this now? is amazing no no it's I'm like just laughing at Patches <laughs> being pedantic <laughs> I'm trying. That was my comic book guy voice. That was my <laughs> Tumblr fan voice. It was great. It was totally great. Yeah. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, what the hell was I saying? Yeah. So, so, um, so she had this sort of calm theme that was um, not as prevalent, uh, and it and it, it was derived from the Zafu stuff. Um, but it was, you know, it was sort of presented in a different way harmonically. Like it was dark and dissonant and strange. But it, there were these sort of like quietly arpeggiating string parts um and and it was sort of related to her percolating anger side because that was also almost sounded like it was like a arpeggiating string part but it was much more aggressive and sharp and pointed Ooh. um so yeah i mean a lot of these themes they just sort of happen and like you know i write a cue because things happen so quickly you know i'll write a cue and then as the series you know the season progresses like this the narrative from that cue comes back and develops so the music from that comes back and develops and so these these things these you know the music functions pretty well because the narrative is functioning well you know what i mean and i'm just kind of following what the narrative is asking for um and that's what really what happened with kavira like as she developed the music developed with you know with her that's great ben i i have a similar question for you and i i thought a lot about you this season because Aww. the music that oh, i just think a lot about you Season. Um, no, I thought a lot about you this season because the music that you do outside of the show has a real technological slant to it. That's an important part of what you do actually on the show too, um, using technology to produce sounds. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Avatar is a very organic show. Avatar Last Airbender, especially uh, Korra, has evolved over time. And now with Kuvira, you have all these machines. You have the organic is kind of dissipating and you have this technological revolution occurring. And I wonder if that affords you some, some new sounds or plays into your, your strengths as someone who uses a lot of technology to create sound. Or I, I don't know. I thought a lot about machines and you during this season. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a really, a really good question. Um, and and you're very right um, in that one of the things that drew me into this war into sound and music in general is my interest in technology and in using technology to manipulate sound. That's one of the things that really got me to like making music. In fact, um, so you know, I, I studied um, sound processing and music technology at school, which really afforded me the ability to play and manipulate sound. So I never studied how to do sound design. 
it's just something that uh, I sort of got asked to do and started figuring out how to do it because I sort of had this tool bag uh, or this toolbox of, of, of ways to manipulate sound. So I, I, and I, and I sort of think of sound and music in similar ways when I'm creating it. And I use similar tools and similar parts of my brain. Um, however, one, one of the differences, um, you know, between some of my music and Cora is that in Cora, the technology has to be transparent. So all of the processes for the most part are supposed to sound natural. So even though I'm manipulating a lot of sound behind the scenes, it's supposed to sound real. You are correct. There are these opportunities where, uh, I do get to make things sound a little less natural. Uh, and, and those have been the more abstract moments in Quora. Um, and those are the times where I can really like use synthesis, um, uh, as a tool. And those actually are really fun for me because, you know, with sound design, it, uh, most of the time there, there aren't that many right answers. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's different ways to do things, but the image really tells you how it's supposed to sound a lot of the time. Um, it's not as subjective as music. So it's fun when there are opportunities to do sound that is a bit more subjective and a bit more abstract. Does that answer your question? I'm wondering if there's a specific thing that seems to like demand a certain sound or if, if these machines – what's interesting about your response is that there are so many machines in – book four and yet um may, maybe they need to sound realistic you know that same thing that you were saying it can't sound like a computer or it can't yeah. sound mechanical yeah i mean machines for the most part i think we all sort of have an idea of what those sound like um i think the more abstract moments in Quora are like when they walk through a spirit beam <laughs> that happens uh, to me all the time what do you what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, or when someone's spirit is being sucked out of their body, uh, or, or the spirits in general, um, or, you know, that huge spirit horn, um, those things don't have, you know, they're not like analogous to anything in our world. So they're more open to interpretation. Uh, and those are the times when I can use synthesis or processes that are a bit more obvious. Has more technical expertise than I do, so I get to ask the sort of silly fan questions, which what? is that um, <laughs> I love this is this is for this is for Jeremy in that everyone loves the secret tunnel song from Avatar. <laughs> we got the Prince Wu shuffle this season, and but was there any talk of doing a more extended song? Like you had more songs in Avatar. Was there ever any time where you almost talked about doing a fuller song for Korra? Well, see, there was like those Prince Wu songs at the end, but um, they didn't, they had, I think, I don't know how, who wrote those. They didn't involve me. And so they were, I think they were more like improvised. Showed. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, well, they were kind of, I think they were improvised, you know, 
Uh, I could be wrong, though, and I apologize if someone did write them, but they, they sound improvised to me, which is fine. I mean, they were supposed to be really bad songs. You know, they're supposed to be terrible songs, whereas Secret Tunnel was supposed to be like this roving band of sort of hippie beautiful, musicians. Beautiful, song. <laughs> that, now that song, now that is high art right there. But, <laughs> but Woo Stuff, on the other hand. But anyway, so, so um, they, they actually talked to me about accompanying Woo Stuff, and I actually kind of, you know gracefully shot it down i mean as best i could obviously if they really wanted it, i would have done it but i i kind of put it forth that it you know because it was improvised and it was sort of arrhythmic and there was no real tonal center to it you know um <laughs> it would have been really tough to to accompany it not to mention the fact that i felt like it actually would work better just this being super awkward um and and, and it wasn't really in the style of Cora to like suspend you know reality that much where all of a sudden there'd be like an accompaniment to a song that he's singing in a cave, you know, in the middle of this situation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas like with Avatar, that was totally fine to, to, you know, spend reality and go into like a huge orchestral moment where the, you know, we're obviously not all those instruments are on, on screen and everything. Um, so it just totally, it didn't feel quite right to me, but, um, there was never really any talk of that. There was stuff though, like the Nuck Tuck stuff, which, you know, which was sort of in that vein of writing completely stylistically different, differently than the rest of the score. And, um, there were a couple, you know, there were the jazz tunes, all that sort of incidental yeah, jazz. Yeah, you got to bring back the jazz. Yeah, the season, jazz is great. Yeah, there, there were a couple of new jazz tunes in the season, and there were, I don't think there had been any new ones since season one, yeah. even though we, we didn't, I don't think we used them all. Like I recorded a bunch for season one. And I think we slowly used them over the, maybe the first two seasons. Um, but yeah, so we got to write a couple new ones and they were a little different. They were starting to head more into like thirties territory, which was kind of cool. Whoa, was, what, what's the difference? Because yeah, when we talked book one, it was all about the twenties and now well, the twenties was is more like Dixieland, jazz. you know, okay. and then you get a little bit more into like straight ahead jazz. And so, you know, and so the, the instrumentation is a little different, you know, like the, it's not a Dixieland instrumentation. Um, and, you know, harmonically, it's a little different. Like, you know, you start getting different chords that you don't, you wouldn't hear yet in the 20s. Um, you know, just slightly different ideas, even the structure of the songs, you know, the tunes a little, work a little differently, like the form. I kind of imagined like time, you know, time was progressing. I kind of imagined the style, you know, musical trends of the, the age were changing a little bit over time. Um, and it worked out well too, because uh, I didn't have to go back and hire another Dixieland band <laughs> so that I just, you know, <laughs> hired a, the trumpet player and, you know, had him play some stuff, you know, over like some guitar stuff. That was the other thing, like, you know, you know, you don't hear a lot of guitar. You don't hear guitar in Dixieland really. It's more the banjo, but later you start getting guitar, you know, as they you know guitar started to become more part of jazz um and i play guitar so you know that was convenient um and you know and also like you were saying the uh the the schedule was so crazy that it, you know and the budget was such that it's not like i could hire someone to oversee this and go and say hey go you know record these charts and bring them back you know 
um, which would have been nice, but it worked fine. I kind of like that, it, you know, these jazz tunes were just different in the last season. It, it does seem like there was, there's a lot of going back in book four for good reason. It's the end, right. and um, you're you're tipping your hat to a lot of things. You, you you go back to some Avatar: The Last Airbender themes, yeah. in this one, yep. especially when Korra is interacting with the spirit, uh, well, the tree, and then the spirit world, and and the finale. I'm curious about going back to those themes, and I know it was something that you resisted uh, throughout the show, but uh, yeah, you know, like I was sense. saying about about themes. You know, I resisted for a little while and then let it be what it wanted to be. And that feels really good just to be like, let it be. And then, of course, it comes out better than when you had been resisting it, you know. <laughs> and, and so, like, even like there was a lot of history with, you know, and I, I kind of was even up to the, the last cue. Um, I felt really connected to the fan base in a way that I felt like I could reference things that weren't exactly necessarily referencing what was on screen, but referencing like the history of the the whole franchise, hmm. you know, so like the, the tree and the banyan tree, you know, from, from Avatar, the last airbender. And I kind of felt like I was calling back to, you know, when they went to the tree, you know, in the swamp, it was really calling back to, to the first series, you know? And so I felt like tapping into that musical history by, you know, using some of the avatar music, um, worked on a deeper level than even just, you know, some, some subtext or something, you know, it was like all, all the way to like, almost like meta, a meta level, you know, where you're like, you're referencing something that, you know, that it's almost like an in, in, not an in joke, but like something, you know, a story that only like people who have been really part of the whole franchise would get. I mean, obviously, um, hopefully emotionally it still worked and did its function, but the people who had been watching it from the beginning, you know, from avatar, I feel like we'd get a little something extra out of it. And I, I really liked that feeling and it, it was a personal thing too you know it was kind of like me going back to and yeah i didn't know if brian and mike were looking for that or not sometimes they would mention things like you know if you had something that could work again from avatar you know it might be cool to revisit they, they were very uh they gave me a lot of freedom more and more over time and uh you know like the first series with avatar I used to get like you know four to eight pages of notes on every of revisions on every episode you know, and and here there were several episodes. There were zero notes or like one note. I think the finale had one note. You know, which is amazing because you people you'd think people could really get neurotic and really micromanage the last episode. <laughs> no, they found balance. It's all about they did. Sand, yeah, found you know? balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Ben's like, what is that a joke about book four? Is that a reference to something? Um, I don't get it. Ben, ben, I'm curious. You know, I know that D. Badly Baker does a lot of the animal noises on the show, but I'm right. curious. Do you have anything to do with the spirit sounds or like spirit ambience? There's, I mean, there's just so much going on whenever Cora goes into the spirit world, and she does it quite often in book three and four. Yeah, no, I did a lot of sounds for the spirit world. Um, for the ambiences, it was quite a few layers of pitched down forests. So, so it would sound, you know, alive. Well, some some places were more alive than others, but the you know, sort of when they were in the spirit forest places. Um, so I wanted it to sound recognizable yet off um so i'd pitch down a bunch of forests and sort of place them in different reverbs um and then yeah anytime a spirit would move uh either i or foley you know or both of us would do sounds for that um and then any any sort of larger animal that needed uh some more girth than um than d could provide you know just with his voice Mm. i would augment that uh with sound as well that's amazing. Yeah, there's there's some good like cuddly spirit sounds 
<laughs> yeah, he's really Matt good. Matt loves like, his cuddly spirits. <laughs> <laughs> They're his favorite. Uh, yeah, he's really good at the cute, like little, like you know, uh, bringing bringing those little things to life. He's really he's really good at that. How do you make them cuter? Is there? <laughs> I don't, yeah, you maybe pitch up his voice a little bit. I don't know. It's pretty great. I mean, uh, you know, for those little things, I didn't uh, unless they had wings or. You know their their body made noises. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. What about uh, wings? What are wings? Wings are are you know a lot Angel. of things. Um, yeah, that was a cool one. Um, Who's that? That that was the sound of I, I, that started as um, uh, fingers tapping a piece of paper. Huh. You know, like that. And uh, and then that got processed into a bunch of layers, and then um, something called like a, a Doppler effect would be put on it if the if the wings were coming close to the screen, so it would go, you know, but, uh, but the flutter would change pitch. Thank God for my eighth grade physics education. Yeah. I know what a Doppler effect is. Right? There you go. Yeah. Do you know the equation for it? Oh God! Oh. <laughs> I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> if you were a true fan, you'd know. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, I am curious. Uh, you, you you were talking about instruments before, uh, and you're always you always have crazy instruments being worked into this show. Was there anything new that we heard in book four? That was there even time to find new instruments or new ideas like that? I'm curious. Let me let me think. I brought back the Pegasus, which I hadn't used in years. I think I used it in Avatar a lot. And Pegasus is a another per- pitch percussion instrument that was Brian's. And um, I sampled it, um, multi-sampled it, you know, so um, pretty thoroughly, like during Avatar. Um, and that came back, and I used that for um, Cuvier for various things. And also, it was in the last queue as well. It was like, it was, you know, it was combined with the kalimba. I mean, all this history is there. It's funny. It is a really, there's a lot of personal history in that stuff that has almost nothing to do with this show, <laughs> the narrative. Um but yeah, the the Pegasus is in there. Um, I'm trying to think. If there, I feel like there. I mean, guitar. I don't think there had been guitar yet. I used guitar a little bit in the jazz tunes. I don't think I had used that at all. Oh no, I did use it a little bit in season one. Um, God, it's such a blur. Uh, so know? many instruments. It really is. But I think at that point, the instrumentation was was pretty pretty solid. Um, you know, like there wasn't a lot changing. Just sort of new ideas. You know, we had the trio, the string trio, which was a huge part of it, you know, the score, sort of the meat of it. And, uh, yeah, I think Hong, you know, at that point, you know, like Hong, he's a Chinese instrumentalist. We we were mainly using, like, the Arhu and the Zhonghu, which are these string instruments, and the Ditsa, which is a, a flute, a couple other flutes. Um, he played, uh, per, you know, cymbals and stuff from time to time, right? Um, actually, not really. He did that with uh, Kung Fu Panda, but with this, um, I, I, I was... Oh, that's right. You bought some. Yeah. Bought some. Yeah. Yeah. I I did want to talk about the size of the group that you're working with or the amount of um, Mm -hmm. players because I know it's been a small group for for many years, but the ending, the final battle, uh, the final two episodes of book four are so big and they're so layered on, on both sound design and music. I was curious if you brought in more resources for that, or if that's uh, a combination, you guys kind of reuniting and writing together again. I wasn't sure. Uh, there's just so much sound, and it's uh, it never tips into cacophony, but I guess cacophony is part of the goal. Um, well, that's yeah, I good mean, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when, I, when I was working out, I remember thinking, I have no idea how there's going to be any room for music in this. I know. <laughs> there's a wall. 
I, well, yeah. that was a big thing, like leaving room, you know, like laying out at times and stuff. But um, no, I mean, Ben and I still had our own, you know, we still, Ben was on doing sound, I was doing music, you know, but I think what it was, um, I, I use a lot more trumpet, actually. And I brought in a really fantastic trumpet player for the last uh, two thirds of the book four. And there was, uh, there's some really hard trumpet parts in there that took him like hours and he's an incredible trumpet player. And he was sort of like, you know, I want to swear, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> we were kind of like F you, you know, like, um, <laughs> you know, this is, he said like on a scale of one to 10, this is an 11 in difficulty, but you know, but it's fun. So thank you. And, uh, cause he was such a good trumpet player that I started using more and more trumpet and my, and it was really fun too, cause I hadn't written that much for trumpet before. So I started getting really into the writing of it. And uh, the, the, actually, the, the musically, it really did hit a wall of uh, complexity. <laughs> like, it really got absurdly complex, like the string parts, the trumpet parts. Um, and I was really happy that it was over because I couldn't go one more episode. <laughs> like, like, I really hit the wall. You know? Why was it getting so complex? Like, what what is it about what you were doing? Maybe it was that initial Kuvira theme, and that's a pretty complex theme. And a lot of stuff was based on that. And I and I really started to run with those ideas. You know, like I guess you, now that I think about it, you totally did pick up on that. Um, where I was I was running with a certain idea, and it kind of informed the majority of the music in Book Four, which is this these like these busier lines, you know, but not in a style of um, like John Williams or someone, not that kind of pomp, a different kind of pomp, you know, something that may be a little more like new music-y. Um, yes, this was your John Cage moment. Uh, yeah, kind of. Although, you know, or maybe it was John Ben's Cage. John Cage moment. If yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been like, you know, maybe no music. <laughs> Three radios tuned to different. Uh, no, I mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That'd been cool. That'd been fun. But um yeah, so it, it really it got super complex, but um, I can't remember the original question because I got complex. <laughs> no, I was just curious about like what made it so demanding on the dense the trumpet players. Um, yeah, or, just density. Yeah. There was so much going on. There, you know, the story got super complex. <laughs> there were a lot um, of people doing a lot of things. Yeah, there was, <laughs> and it needed to flow. It needed to still function. You know, like, um, but there were so many changes, and and like if the music was completely different and you know every change it would it would just have no no shape you know so that that was a big challenge and keeping the energy going there was so much energy and everything was always growing i mean this has always been the thing with mike and brian it's always like you know you're 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 already on 11 and then they kick, kick it up two more notches and you're like how do we do this How about you? You mentioned that the the soundscape was so dense you didn't even know if music would fit into it. What was going on in, mm. in those big in the the giant machine fight? I mean, there's so much there's so much there. Yeah, I mean, one of the hardest scenes, actually, even without music, because there wasn't music in this scene, but um, 
when during the last fight in the finale when they're on the spirit cannon and it's just it's just going for like a minute you know it's it's sort of backfiring and it's just firing constantly you know that's a situation where it needs to sound huge and it and it's a constant sound so how do you add you know the the other things that were happening like say they were wrestling in front of it or um uh yeah just like fighting in general how do you make those sounds how how can you even let those be heard when this thing is just you know exploring the or exploding the whole world behind them so much blomping now it's over don't becomes uh it's just a challenge so you have to kind of find the the places where you can dip down some mm. of the intensity or alter it on some of the sounds so that you can make the other ones have any impact because the problem is if you know if you're at a hundred and you need something to have impact uh it's incredibly hard to do you kind of have to dip something else down so that you can give something room to have impact um so and, and like Jeremy said, that that is a that's been a, a battle in pretty much every finale that that sure. uh, we've ever done for Avatar or Korra because there is just so much going on constantly and it's all overlapping. I've so heard. yeah, oh. it's just uh, it's just kind of a, a battle of um, you know you build these huge things, but then you kind of have to wrangle them in to allow for other huge things to enter as, in as well. And, you know, for smaller scenes or intimate still being people punching each other in the face, um, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes, one of my intimate favorite fight. scenes in book four is when Korra storms into the like control center and finally grapples with Kuvira mm-hmm. for, for the, you know, in her last big fight. Um, mm-hmm. And that moves at a mile a minute. And there's yeah. so many bending sounds. How do you how do you organize that? How do you make it click with our ears? I would I imagine that's a bit of a challenge. It is. I mean, uh, you pretty much just go frame by frame, you know. You add a sound for every or almost every um, element. And, and that is a, that's actually a style that Mike and Brian really like sticking to in that even if there's, you know, a million uh, impacts happening uh, sort of on screen, on camera, if there's a boulder that is on screen and it flies off screen, we need to hear it land off screen. So, you know, even, even when it's incredibly dense, we made sure that there was sort of an onset for every sound that was happening on screen. So the pace is absolutely, you know, dictated by the animation. Uh, and then it's just, it's just really about like saying, okay, I'm going to do all my metal impacts uh, and go through that scene and do all of your metal impacts. And then I'm going to do all of my, you know, wishes and go do all the wishes and then, you know, go do all the rock elements and then all the water and all. So you just keep going through it and through it and through it until until it plays the the way that feels right. 
I'm realizing a boulder cracking on someone's head is a really hard thing to capture. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that sound would, where you would get it in real life, or I don't know. Uh, you just, I just use Jeremy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that works. What? <laughs> uh, no, you know, you, um, you can, you can, uh, it actually is. Uh, so you, you can get sounds, uh, and I've recorded some and I just have some of like, you know, stepping on rocks or throwing rocks. Uh, and you layer those in with, um, some sort of explosive type sounds. And then it sort of sounds like it's exploding apart. These these little tricks, these oral tricks. <laughs> a beautiful thing. Tricks of the trade. So I wanted to ask Jeremy, um, what's interesting about the finale is all the controversy that sort of popped up around the ending before it was clarified by Mike and Brian. A lot of the arguments centered on this musical cue that that you know belongs to you. And have you ever had a piece of music be that vital to sort of? understanding story in that way and, and, and what that experience was like for you? That's a good question. Um, I don't think I have actually. Um, but it was weird because everything's just, you know, everything moves fast and Brian and Mike were like, we want, we, you know, we can't show a kiss, but we wanted it to be clear that this is romantic. And it was just, two lines you know it wasn't like a big discussion there was no like hem, you know hemming and hawing over it you know just sort of did it and and, and it all worked out like it, it worked out very organically I knew I wanted to go back and use um, ideas from Avatar in a subtle way, like like the kalimba, but you know that's evolved. So because the kalimba was a big part of the sort of the most recognizable moments of the music in Avatar, and is the kalimba? Um, the kalimba, like it's used, um, like when they fly off on Appa, you know, at the end of the episodes, and it's got that you know da 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 that theme. So that's uh-huh. the kalimba, and that's like a popular theme, you know that that fans really attached to. And that was also, that was actually something, um, cause Ben and I did the music to the pilot together and then we went off and split up, you know, as far as music and sound, but we did that together. And that was one of the first things we wrote together. And that was Ben's, um, uh, kalimba that his mom yeah, had got. A kalimba is a African thumb piano. If, if, if right. It's like a, it's like a pitch percussion instrument. That's really yeah, it's, small. It's tined and you play it with your thumbs. Right. Um, so it has like a ton that, that theme, that might be one of the first things we ever wrote for Cora. And it has for a lot Avatar. of. Um, for I, Avatar. I mean, sorry, for Avatar, for the whole thing, and so it's got a lot of history to it. And I, I knew I wanted to come back to that, you know, in a, in a new way. And so it, it just, the, I think the tone somehow lent itself to it without too much thinking. You know, it was just, it just flowed. I mean, I, I think I was feeling something, and, I, and like I had been through this journey, and I, you know, it was like a very personal thing, and I kind of just did what I was feeling, and it, and it just 
thankfully it worked, you know, and um, it, it sold the idea that they were in love. And then, and then there's that reference at the end that a lot of people, you know, uh, sort of saw the connection to when um, Katara and uh, and and uh, and Kiss, you know, in the finale. And so they, right. you know, they were like, "Wow, this is clearly showing that." And the funny thing is, I did not even intend that. I knew, I do this happens to me all the time. Like I'll use a theme, and subconsciously, like I'll know it has to go there, and I don't quite understand why on a conscious level. It'll just be working. I'll be like, "This needs to go there." just feels right and then later i'll be like holy that's like that that's functions that's thematically makes perfect sense like narrative. <laughs> i don't know like i'd love to say like i did on purpose i don't know maybe on some conscious level subconscious level i did but i'm not sure about that it's really weird it's a very weird thing and it's happened several times like it happened at the end of the um um season three there was this like uh you know this um Jinora's light came back and Jinora is getting crowned and like I've heard, you know, I mean, she's getting uh, her tattoos, you know, and she's getting uh, whatever it's called. She's, she's getting coronated. <laughs> we don't watch it. We don't watch it. Coronated. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but is she getting coronated? I don't know. If she's getting I don't coronated. know. She's getting her tattoos. She's getting inducted. You know? Yes. Um, and that was a variation of the Jinora's light thing, which was the, the end of uh, season two, where she comes down and saves the day. Um, and I had been pretty far into that queue when I realized that that was from that. You know, I knew I wanted to, I knew it just felt right there. Like I was hearing that idea. And then I realized, wow, this is like an, a variation of Janora's light. And it's about Janora in this moment, you know? So it's really strange. And that, that, that's happened a lot. So yeah, that happened at the end there. And it worked out really well because it, it really sort of sold the idea that, that this was a romantic moment and not just like a moment of, of, of friendship. Right. You know? It was really cool. So I, I realized, I, I, you know, I, it had never, I'd never realized it before, but I, I do think, Jeremy, that that was the first musical idea that I remember. Yeah. Was, you know, ha or having uh, right. uh, for Avatar, and that's the way the Korra ended. That's, you know, it's beautiful. Yep. Yeah, it ends with that. And, and, yeah. And I think, um, as, you know, as we were talking about uh, in the beginning, we both did the sound design as well. Uh, and so a lot of those sounds I was talking about are, you know, Jeremy's voice or my voice process from like that very first session. I mean, that's when, uh, I lived with Brian and we did the music and the sound in the living room, you know, with like Brian <laughs> in the other room and he would be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Do that. Do that. And like, that's when you guys invented the Apple II in your garage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian would be, you know, on his light board. Um, fleshing out like the character design, you know, yeah. and showing us like, hey, this is uh, this guy Ang. Check him out. Like that's awesome, you know. I, I guess at that point he was already that was already developed, but he'd be like fleshing out, you know, other other stuff, you know, other characters or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but it is crazy yeah. how much has survived from that like little. Sure. You know, it was like it was like a two week long process, and so much has has survived. You, you know, a decade later, it's pretty Came from the gut. Yeah, it did. What, what what are you what are you guys working on now? What are yeah. you uh, are, are we getting more Echo Society from you? A third show from that, or what what are you up to now that yeah, the I mean, show is over? 
Yeah, we are doing. Uh, yeah, music. Um, we do have. Yeah, a, yeah but, we have another Echo Society thing coming up. Yeah, it's uh, coming up in uh, March. Actually, I just saw the space today, and it's unbelievable. It's a, um, it's a church that's been recommissioned into an event space downtown Los Angeles. It's um, it's beautiful. I'm so excited. So that's coming in March, and then uh, I'm doing some 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 st- day room stuff and playing some shows, awesome. uh, and then yeah, I think we're we're both trying to figure out uh, what the next uh, scoring stuff is. I don't think we got to pimp your last album the last mm. time you were here. What what give us the quick rundown of what that is? So my last record was um, in a nutshell. It's an ambient uh, electronic record, uh, and it, I recorded it all to cassette tape, so it sounds sort of nostalgic and old and hissy. Um, so, you know, when I was listening to the music, I started thinking about memories and how to capture them and had the idea to make a handheld projector um, so that somebody could buy it and there would be a video for each song and they would turn it on and, you know, the the image would come alive, you know, on their on their walls. That's so cool. Uh, and so, yeah, we treated it sort of like a time capsule. So it has a very nostalgic, um, feel. Wait, did uh, we say the name of this album? I can't remember. Oh no, it's called, so. it's called 1979, which it's is key. the year I was, well, <laughs> yeah, that's the year I, I was born. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, and there, and there's quite a, there's quite a large narrative built around the whole thing. Uh, we have an online uh, gallery of people that have submitted their own memories from their own life in exchange for a free song. So, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a free song, dude. <laughs> What's up? Uh, yeah, you did. He must have. It was an automatic thing. No, I must not download it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the, the website is 1979.LA. Uh, yeah. Explore. That is so LA. Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> what about you? What are you, what are you up to? Um, I've got, I've got a couple of pros, a couple of documentaries I think that I'll be doing any day now. I've, it's one of these things where they keep almost starting, like a couple of features. Well, one of them is pretty far in the future, I think, and then another one is supposed to start any minute. Um, and you know, until I sign a contract, I'm not going to like talk about it too much. <laughs> <Fair>. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it should be pretty cool. I mean, I think I'll be using like a large, like a fairly large string ensemble and some other stuff. And um, you know, I haven't gotten into it creatively yet, so it's kind of hard to talk about. Um, but yeah, it'll be cool writing something that's so di- different, like a documentary is so different than, you know, an animated series, just in the way the music functions and the tone and everything. And unless it's about people who can bend elements, which, <laughs> well, that's true. In which case true. It might be the same. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's more Kung Fu Panda coming, right? Uh, well, we're done. I mean, we're done. We've done, done it. That. That, that's still, I, I don't know if they've aired all the series, the shows. I think there's some the coming this month, in fact. Okay. Yeah, we finished. We finished writing. We finished work on that. I don't know, several months ago. Oh, wow. You know, quite a while ago. But yeah, well, we did the, the they're going to be airing memory. new. They're going to be airing new Kung Fu Panda episodes. That's great. I did not know that. I think it starts this month if Wikipedia is to be believed. That's Which, great. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you guys did the music for whatever episodes come out. So. Yeah, great. <laughs> Unless they hired someone else and made some more episodes. Aww. <laughs> Aww. No, I don't um, think. I, I think we would know about that. Right. <laughs> is more are they doing more are you going to be back for more do you guys no, have that, any other projects together um they ordered 80 and that was it we um we had done a movie called the leading man there's a soundtrack out for that actually is a um it's starting it seems like it's starting to get some traction cool. it's um it's, it's starting to play festivals and things i think actually they just got distribution um for it and it's a pretty interesting premise about this um asian-american actor who tries to sort of have integrity 
you know, in the in the business, and it's tough for him. It's tough for him. And then, um, uh, and then, Legend of Korra book five, or uh, and then Legend, the Legend the, of Blank book there's, there's one. Yeah, the Broadway, yeah, yeah. There's the Broadway show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all songs. I would see Cirque du Soleil songs. does. Cora. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to see. We want to see what Cora Sami's vacation in the spirit world. Oh, that's yeah, right. on that's stage, brother. Right. <laughs> cool. Totally. That would be tight. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, like, but you know, it's a really interesting time for Ben, Ben and me. You know, we're we're sort of we're like going to do our own things. Like, we're gonna, you know, sort of let the track team sort of die, which is a little sad. Aww. But uh, you know, we're ready to like do our own things. I think, cool. um, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm sure you know, I'm sure we'll work on something again together. Um, you know, when with when Brian the, and Mike, perhaps. Uh, well, yeah, or just who knows, maybe something else. You know, um, if the the project you know warrants it but um, if brian and mike were like okay we're doing <laughs> we're doing a third series like in a couple years when they right. had but their you have break. to commit 10 yeah, years exactly. of your life to their, yeah. yeah we have, yeah, after, we have to commit long, right now as well to this <laughs> and i'm gonna chain project. you to this desk <laughs> right well when the wounds are all healed yeah definitely yeah, I, i'm yeah. sure i'll always be you know as long as they do stuff you know i'll i i'll always want to work with them that's awesome um and uh you know but i think everyone's you know ready for for a nice break I can you know imagine. yeah i think, I, I think vacation. you know even, yeah. even mike and brian are kind of you know taking a breather you know and doing some it's breather time you know Whew. i do sure. know uh well guys i think that about wraps things up i really appreciate you coming on the show one more time uh jeremy zuckerman ben win thank you thank, thank you so much. much and thanks everyone for listening until next time farewell <laughs>